So I'll start with the reading from Sarahat that says that within my body are all the sacred places of the world. Within my body are all the sacred places of the world and the most profound pilgrimage I can ever make is within my own body. The most profound pilgrimage I can ever make is within my own body. The Buddha has a very beautiful quotation about the body. It says that within this fathom-long body, and a fathom is a maritime measurement, it's about two meters, six feet, the depth of water, that within this fathom-long body, with its thoughts and emotions, lies our world. Its origin, its cessation, the pathway to freedom is found within this fathom-long body. So I appreciate what Sarha is saying, that, that the most profound pilgrimage we can ever make is within this body. So to come to retreat, perhaps to come to get in touch with what's important, perhaps this place of refuge of finding some potential uh, stability in the midst of all of the the worldly winds. And this has been an incredible time these past um, two plus years, living in a worldwide pandemic that's not over. And more concerns with these variants. In the USA, we had two very terrible statistics of we just crossed over 800,000 Americans that have died of COVID and now over 50 million people in the United States have been contracted COVID and of course way more in the, in the, in the world. We're, we're moving towards 300 million and over 6 million deaths. Uncertainty and it's one thing to think about it you know, yeah, things are uncertain. And then it's another when it begins to go inside your skin, muscle, connective tissue, bone, marrow, and being. It's another thing when we really realize that it's not going to last and that there's uncertainty. I shared with some of you before that have been to my retreats that, you know, I had that, this realization when I was four years old, riding in the back seat of my parents' car, driving down Corey Hill Road towards my grandmother's. And I'm not sure what my mother and father were talking about, but I had this very clear, really a life-altering realization that I was going to die and that everyone was going to die and that it could happen at any moment. And I remember sharing what I just realized with my mom and dad. And I can remember mom turning around and saying, don't worry, Bobby. It's not going to happen for a long, long time. And I could tell by the sound of her voice, she was friendly. It was warm. It was not wanting me to worry. And yet even at four, I knew that she wasn't fully telling me the truth because what I knew was that it could come at any time. There was no guarantee it would be a long time. And again, what is a long time? I know Mary Grace just uh, 
in October had a birthday <laughs> and um, <laughs> 80 and congratulations. And I remember when my teacher, Lang DeSetto, turned 80, I asked him how long had he, has 80 years gone by? And he looked at me and smiled and snapped his finger. 80 years. 80 years. Remember once my, my wife, Jen, who's teaching a mindfulness-based stress reduction class, had a student in her class. And on the very first night, we often go around the circle and people share about what brings them here. And one younger man said, um, I'm 44. And the last thing I remember, I was 21. That's why I'm here. I'm like, what happened? I'm already 44. Jane Kenyon, she writes, that I got out of bed on two strong legs. It might have been otherwise. I ate cereal, sweet milk, and a ripe, flawless peach. It might have been otherwise. I took the dog uphill to the birch wood, and all morning I did the work that I love, and at noon I lied down with my mate. It might have been otherwise. We ate dinner together at a table with silver candlesticks. It might have been otherwise. And I slept in a bed in a room with paintings on the walls, and I planned another day, just like this day. But one day, I know. One day, I know it will be otherwise. One day, I know it will be otherwise. So we live with uncertainty in this world. It's part of the part of what it is to be a human being. And how do we begin to meet it wisely? After that, my own personal experience of realizing uh, the truth that death could come at any time, uh, up to the by the time I was nine, I had lost a brother, a best friend, and a grandfather. And there was many, many years of confusion and pain after that. Till eventually, actually, I had to thank Latsu of the Tao Te Ching that in epigram number 47 says, there's no need to look outside your window for everything you need to know is inside you. And this was the beginning in my early 20s of beginning to look inwards. Carl Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist, says, who looks outside dreams and who looks inside awakens. You must have borrowed that from Latsu. It's a perennial wisdom found through the ages in many traditions. But who looks outside dreams? Who looks inside awakens? And, and so this journey beginning to turn inwards became really the the most important um, journey within my life that continues to this day and my mother said no worry bobby you're not going to die for a long long time well i'm going to be 68 this year and we're here 68 years gone So what brings me to practice is this realization of the fragility 
and the preciousness of this life and the mystery. What is this? What is this? My son is a majored in astrophysics and his particular area was dark energy. And if you ask him, what is dark energy? He says, we don't know. <laughs> Speaking about the mystery, we don't know. We know that there's something that's moving the, the universe, expanding it. And we use black holes. They're like little buoys, like buoys in the ocean. But they're like buoys in the sky, these black holes that help us to do measurements. But then I said, well, but isn't there just universe after the universe? I mean, and he goes, we don't know. It's like, it's like, we don't know. Like, but what is this? In the conventional conceptual world, it'll make you lead to think that this is, this is the world. But what is this? Solids, liquids, motion, temperature, change, atoms. It's, it's mysterious. I, I relate to the mystery. What is this? And then the complexity of our human condition and fighting over one another. Carl Sagan, uh, an astronomer, had once was, was part of a project where they took a picture from a satellite, I believe the Voyager, around Pluto and looking back towards the Earth. And they took this picture from Pluto of the Earth. And the Earth was a small, pale blue dot, like a piece of dust suspended in a sunbeam. And yet on that piece of dust, that dot, all these wars, all this killing and narcissism and fighting and for just competing against a little speck of this corner of the dot. Very humbling. I used to speak about astronomy. It's very humbling when you begin to look at the vastness of the universe. Like, what is this? And yet, here we are in this little dot. And how much bias and prejudice and hatred and fear and othering and the complexities of this world is just... Amazing. And I think in these last few years, the polarization has really shown itself even brighter and brighter in being named of what has actually been happening for thousands of years. What is this, this life? And I love the story of the Buddha. I, I so much love this story because it's such a human story. I can relate to it as a fellow human. I know some of you have heard this story, and um, I'll share a little bit of it now as well. And, and then the Buddha's original name was Siddhartha Gautama. And he was born into a noble family and destined to become a king. And it was very customary in ancient India when a new child was born, particularly one that uh, was born into a noble family. 
that they would bring some holy people to come to look at the infant and make predictions, like looking at the limbs and the length of the ear and the color, the disposition, all of these different signs. And, and, and five of these um, people came and four of them gave predictions that, they'll be, that Siddhartha will become a great king. But the youngest one, Kodanya, said, no, he's going to become a Buddha. And Siddhartha's father heard that, and even though four of them said, no, he'll become a king, somehow this younger one, Kodanya, that said he'll become a Buddha, kind of disturbed him a bit. Actually disturbed him a lot. And did not want his son to become a Buddha, but to become a king like himself. And so he very intentionally, the king, created the conditions where Siddhartha would just be filled with pleasure, palaces for each season, and um, sports, and entertainment, and pleasure palaces, and so forth. And this went on for about 29 years, living in these pleasure palaces, and just losing himself into pleasure and sports and everything else. And in his 29th year, Siddhartha had this, I'm not sure how it came up, but he had this inkling, this wish to go out into the kingdom and to see how the, the people lived. He hadn't, he'd just been in these pleasure palaces all these years. And so he went out in this first outing and he came across an old person. Now, he probably had seen older people before, but for some reason in that moment, in his 29th year, he saw this older person and he got the truth of aging. Actually, his charioteersman, Jonas, said, yes, Siddhartha was saying, who, this is, who is this person? Because this is an old person. No one can escape from aging. And in that moment, Siddhartha really got it, that there is aging. Soon after, Siddhartha went back to the palace and once again got very much lost in, in the pleasure palace and all the things going on there. But after a period of time, he had this other feeling again to go out into the kingdom again and went out again with Jana, his charioteersman or Uber driver. And um, this time, as they were out, they came across someone that was really ill, really ill. And Siddhartha saw this person and talked about it a bit with Jana. And Jana said, this is one that is ill and no one can escape from illness. And somehow Siddhartha got it this time in a deeper way. It was like a piercing. No one can escape the illness. He soon went back to the palace again, and this time he was a bit forlorn, and it's like aging, illness. But, you know, the pleasure palaces are so much fun. And so, again, he kind of lost himself into this. But again, a third time, 
there was this calling inside him to go out and went out again into the kingdom with Jana. And this time they came across a corpse, a dead body. And Siddhartha could see right away that this, you know, this person wasn't breathing. It was discoloration. And then he even put his hand on the arm of this dead person felt the coolness, the coldness. And it's always a striking part of the story to me because my father, he died in 2017 and I remember putting my hand on his arm and feel that coldness. And it was like a piercing into Siddhartha's heart of the truth of death. Siddhartha went back to the palace and this time was not so eager to go, to go back into the pleasure realms and doing this and that. He was really upset inside his heart, like somehow waking up from this dream world that he had been living in for 29 years and realizing deeply the truth of aging and illness and death. And what is he to do? What is this life? So he just um, really stayed with this now and wasn't into the, all these parties and pleasure things anymore. But didn't know what to do. What is this? And so it called upon him again to go one more time out into the kingdom. And sure enough, another encounter happened and he came across this person walking incredibly slowly deliberately peacefully this person had a very calm serene type of gait and presence and Siddhartha said to China who is this I've never seen a person like this before and China said, this is a person who is dedicating their life to understanding the meaning of life. This is a sadhu, wanderer, a holy person, one that is meditating and trying to understand the meaning of life. And when Siddhartha heard that, there was a glimmer of hope that entered into his heart. Like, there might be a way. There's actually people that do this. There might be a way to understand about life. And so he came back to the palace with a little bit more of some inspiration. And in time, he realized that he needed to leave the palace and to become a sadhu and devote his life to understanding what is the meaning of life. And there's something very powerful about this story. It, it always has been for me. You know, particularly because of my own, um, you know, growing up and experiencing so much death and then being so confused for so many years and then eventually 
you know, sometimes we consider that when, when Siddhartha saw the sadhu, it's, that is called the fourth heavenly messenger. Like, this is the messenger that says, maybe there's another way. And I was very fortunate in my uh, college days to have met uh, a teacher. It was like a fourth heavenly messenger to me that, that uh, its presence revealed to me, maybe there's some way in. And again, this was this journey of beginning to look inside. My professor introduced me to the Tao Te Ching of Lao Tzu. There's no need to look outside your window for everything you need to know is inside you. So this turning inwards was the beginning of uh, my practice that has been with me for so many years now. And so these um, experiences that Siddhartha had, this encounter with aging, illness, death, and say awakening, fourth heavenly messenger, these are all messengers. And I want to sense that I trusted every single person here has met them one way or another. I don't think you could be here. There's something that wasn't calling to you to look inside. What is this? Particularly in this time of the pandemic and so much polarization. What is this? And so it's so wonderful that you are here to sit, to settle a bit. Perhaps in time, things begin to get more clear. What brings us here? So I'd like to invite you a little silence now to reflect upon. Again, that question that echoes, what brings us here? And can you relate to any of these messengers, messenger of illness, whether it's something that you're dealing with or someone you know or care about is ill or has it got aged, aging as well as looking at yourself and your own aging? Death. Reflecting upon these messengers that perhaps have brought us into practice and reflecting on perhaps the messengers that were pointing that maybe there's a way to understand, to make peace, to gather deeper wisdom and understanding. So some time just to reflect now, like who's been your messengers of aging, of illness, of death, of awakening? Just taking some time in the silence to reflect upon these. Aging, illness, death, awakening.
And so these messengers awakening us, what is important, the fragility, the preciousness of this life? And so one day, Siddhartha Gautama left the palace, left his family, his wife, his child-to-be, knowing that they would, of course, be well cared for. And actually, it's nice to say that after his awakening, he came back to his wife, to his son and family and and taught them what he had learned in his awakening that I'm going to share more about in a few days. But that sojourn, what is this life? There's a beautiful haunting reading from Mary Oliver that I love and It speaks to this journey, and it's called the journey. And perhaps it it touches into our shared humanity of our journey. What is this life? And she says, one day you finally knew what you had to do and began. The voices around you kept shouting, and the whole house began to tremble, and you felt that old and familiar tug at your ankles as each voice cried out to you to, Take care of me to mend my life. But you knew what you had to do this time, and though the wind pried with his stiff fingers and the melancholy was terrible, it was already late enough and it was a wild night, and the road was full of fallen branches and stones. And little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of the clouds. I love that moment. The stars began to burn through the sheets of the clouds, and there was a new voice listening deep in your heart. There was a new voice that you slowly recognized that was your own. And it kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do and determined to save the only life you could save. The stars began to burn through the sheets of the clouds and there was a new voice you slowly recognized as your own. This journey that we're all on in life. And how to meet it with wisdom. So as we come to an end in a few minutes, we'll just sit for a little bit more and then we'll we'll end the bell. Taking these messengers with you, let them sleep with you, let them live within you. These messengers of awakening, these messengers of the fragility, the messengers of the preciousness of life. So precious that we're making this time for retreat to pause, to look inwards, getting in touch with our own voice. So we'll just sit for a couple of minutes in the silence and perhaps our senses open and awake. And I know here in Northern California, the sound sense is a 
lovely with the rain or just sitting with your senses, whatever's calling to you, if there's a sound, being with a sound, a sensation, being with a sensation. It's exploring your senses, taste lingering in the mouth, visual impressions, whether the eyes are open or closed, smells perhaps still in the nose. Coming to our senses. This pilgrimage within our own fathom-long body. Feeling the touch points of your body sitting in the chair or on the cushion, feet on the floor, in the body. Perhaps being aware of the breath as it comes in and goes out. In the body. May all beings discover the gateways into their own hearts and grow with greater wisdom and compassion. Hmm. 
So thank you, and our retreat has begun. And of course, there's times that we're gathering where we're doing formal practice of sitting and walking meditation and some yoga. And of course, there'll be times for meals, bring our mindfulness to eating. And there's this whole category called the mindfulness or the clear comprehension of different day-to-day activities. And so we can begin now. In the moment, you might be shutting off the computer and being aware of the shutting off and the getting up and the walking, brushing teeth and all these different activities of day-to-day living we can bring our mindfulness to. And no doubt we we'll, might discover pretty quickly that we're not mindful every single moment. But one thing that's nice is a very short equation. The moment you realize you're not present, you are. It begins again. So you can make it kind of like a mindfulness game. The moment you realize you're not present, you are present. Just at that moment of putting your hand on the doorknob, pressing down the lever on the toaster, getting the washing your face. So many different activities of day-to-day living. And so we can begin, you know, gently and kindly priming this pump of mindfulness, kindly attending. So thank you very much for this um, time. It feels very special to be in retreat again. And... um, Let us use our time as best we can to awaken. Thank you so much. And we'll see you uh, in the morning at uh, 6.45 Pacific Standard Time is our next sit. And um, thank you very much.